What if every student was excited to go to school and learn? What would this even look like? What opportunities and passions might be unlocked and shared with our society? Kyle Sari is a fifth grade teacher at Nagani Public Schools, who's been teaching for 11 years. After jumping from second grade to first grade to fifth grade to seventh, as well as serving as an assistant principal for a few years in the middle, he found that he loved teaching fifth grade the most. Kyle was born in Nagani, raised in Nagani, and now teaches in Nagani. Located in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, Nagani is a fairly small community with about 1,500 students in the district across all levels. He describes Nagani as a special place, a tight-knit community that really supports its educators and prioritizes the education of its children. When it comes to student learning, Kyle believes that comfort leads to confidence, and that when students feel confident, they're more willing to embrace failure and tackle bigger projects that are conducive to deep learning. In his fifth grade classroom, Kyle works tirelessly to create a nurturing classroom environment where all students feel excited to be with one another and learn together. Perhaps because of this culture he cultivates in his classroom, he's able to ask students to take on some really exciting big projects. For example, Kyle runs a genius hour in his classroom where students get one hour per week to work on a passion project that will be used to better themselves, their school, or their community. The idea was inspired by Apple, which is renowned for setting aside time for employees to work on innovative projects of their own design that could benefit the larger company. Throughout our conversation, Kyle and I discussed his journey into teaching, the importance of giving students ownership over their learning, and his reflections on how COVID-19 demonstrated the true resilience and strength of Michigan educators and students alike. We want school to be a place that that students want to be at, um, not not a place where they have to be. Uh, when they get up in the morning, do they have some purpose to to get ready and to enter with a smile on their face and enter with some energy? And uh, I think that's the number one goal every day. Is we we always say in class, I mean, if if we can make you smile, if we can make you laugh, and if we can make you think, that's a pretty complete day within the classroom. And that's kind of where everything starts. I'm Nikki Herda, and this is Bright. Stories of Hope and Innovation in Michigan Classrooms, a podcast where we celebrate our state's educators and explore the future of learning. Let's dive in. To kick off our interview, Kyle and I started with rapid-fire questions, where I gave him prompts and asked him to say the first thing that came to mind. So are you ready? Let's go. <laughs> All right. Favorite pizza topping? Uh, traditional pepperoni. All right, all right. Uh, last show you watched? Uh, I'm, I'm not a big series guy or anything. Uh, I just, I got to stick with sports. It was the Tiger game. That's it. <laughs> that's a good answer. Coffee is essential. <laughs> all right. Last thing that made you smile? Um. Florida. Just got back from spring break. I am very jealous. I haven't been there in a while. Uh, favorite teacher? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I'll go back to sixth grade and I'll, I'll say Mrs. Trebilcock. Okay. What subject did she teach? Or is she your job? Uh, 
Yeah, that was general ed, all inclusive. Um, and then I had the privilege to teach with her then too at the middle school for a few years before she retired. So yeah. I love that. All right. Teachers are. Needed more than ever. Michigan is. Evolving. Mm, that's a good answer. Learning is. Controlled by the students. I think when they're empowered um, and they take, they take root of the entire learning process, um, they're in control of everything of where they're heading. Excellent. Innovation is. Uh, the determining factor of success for tomorrow. Um, we have a society of users right now, but I think we're still trying to nurture and develop creators. And uh, that's where the innovation is key. Wow, that's great. Uh, the person who most inspired your view on education. Oh, I, I could I could name a list of people, but uh, one that stands out right off the bat would be Tom Russo, who was our basketball coach for a number of years in Nagani, and uh, he had taught um, so, uh, history in high school as well. So uh, that that would be a mentor type figure that I'd point out. Excellent, thank you. Uh, the future of education is. Uh, I think filled with endless opportunity. I mean, uh, over the course of the last year, education's evolved, uh, kind of the same word that I used with the state of Michigan. And uh, there's many different means and modes to deliver instruction. And uh, I think we've done a phenomenal job of adjusting to that. Well said. Students need... Routine and consistency. Um, they need to know what to expect on a daily basis, and uh, I think that helps them become comfortable. Excellent. Teachers need? Oh, man. Um, you know, kind of the same thing. Routine. Routine. Um, we don't always get it, and we need to be flexible, but um, I think we're at our best when we're able to establish routine. That's it. Maybe humans need routines. So <laughs> yes. I'm learning as I get older. <laughs> it's hard. But uh, I am hopeful that. That we will get to the other side of, of this pandemic where we can, we can return to a completely normal environment within the classroom. Um, I think students have been resilient. They've been awesome throughout this entire process, but I think we're all waiting for tomorrow when that happens, whenever that tomorrow will be. Kyle's teaching roots began when he was a fourth grade student serving as the manager of his school's football team. It was this experience that sparked his love for teaching. The rest is history. Over the years, his coaching work has informed his teaching practice and vice versa. At the heart of these experiences, he says, lies the same set of skills and the same power to transform young lives. We also discussed how the teaching profession has changed since he first began his career and how the rise of social media has both empowered students to act as agents of change, while at the same time making the job of educators more important than ever. So could you tell me a little bit about what drew you to education in the first place? 
yeah, my thoughts of becoming a teacher, they, I guess you could say that they really kind of started as young as, as fourth grade, but it, it wasn't necessarily as a teacher at that time. Um, I was the manager of our football team, our varsity football team as a fourth and a fifth grader. And uh, what I realized about myself at that point was um, rather than wanting to play the game, I was more so obsessed with watching the coaches and kind of the X's and O's of everything and watching um, how they interacted with players. And it's something that <laughs> it might be weird for a kid, but that that's kind of where my mind has always been at. So um, that kind of led into middle school. And as I begun to mature a little bit, I realized that coaching was really teaching. And um, I did my eighth grade career report on, on basically being a teacher, being a teacher and a coach. And um, that led me to interviewing our basketball coach, who is also a teacher. And uh, I noticed how many parallels there truly were between the two things. And um, when I graduated from high school, uh, I, I started coaching immediately um, in 2005, which led to 17 years worth of tennis coaching, which still doing now, and then 10 years coaching basketball too. So um, those two parts of my life, both teaching and coaching, have been closely connected. Um, but throughout this entire process, I've always considered myself a teacher coach and not a coach teacher, um, because I think majority of skills that we can end up gaining and the 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 core fundamentals of everything come from truly the teaching profession and then you take those skills and then apply them on a basketball court a tennis court football field or anywhere else so it's been a rewarding journey do you want to say anything at all about how i know you said teacher coach but how teaching has informed how you act as a coach and how maybe the other way you know how coaching has informed your role as a teacher yeah um kind of looking at that teacher coach relationship i think i think what has provided most benefit in both settings is how to structure your day um when you think of when you think of how to plan a practice and what you want to accomplish during a day and how to scaffold all those necessary tasks to get to where you want to get to the same thing's true in the classroom as well um so communication needs to be clear both from teacher to student or from coach to team uh, those relationships need to have an opportunity to kind of foster and be built. Um, and that happens by putting teams or students in positions of adversity where they need to be able to challenge themselves. Uh, they need to have some choice to be able to um, step forward and try something new, whether in terms of tennis, trying a new grip on a racket or trying to hit a new shot. So there are so many parallels between the two of them. And uh, I think by doing both, um, it, it it strengthens the ability that one has in both of those areas compared to if you just did one thing. Could you tell me a little bit about how teaching has changed since you first began your career in education? I think um, you consider how teaching has changed. I think at the core, whether it be 10 or 11 years ago when I entered or even further back than that, I think the main priority hasn't changed. And, and that would be Every teacher, I think they want to provide a the safe, comfortable environment for their students. And I think that's kind of the basis of everything. But of course, yeah, there are changes that go along with that too. And I think above anything, I think students are more empowered now than they were even 10 years ago to voice their opinion and realize that, that they can be agents of change. Um, and I think we see that a lot with with some high school students and now we're developed and we're starting to see it more and more of middle school students too uh based on technology social media and and kind of the outreach they realize they can have so i think that's the biggest thing is is they realize their impact can be made a lot sooner 
um, now than maybe 10, 20 or, or 30 years ago, thanks to technology. That's a refreshing take, I think, because a lot of times when I hear about social media at all now, it's generally a negative lens, but you're kind of articulating like a, a pretty positive impact that it had on, that's it's had on your students in terms of, especially I imagine in a small town too, it's even more prominent, right? Because you can have a wide reach on, with uh, technology and social media that you probably couldn't have no, you nailed it. And I think it's it's definitely a double-edged sword. I mean, it's it's not all, well, everybody's familiar. It's not an entirely positive thing in that environment. But um, I think, and part of that part of that does trace its way back into the classroom too. If, if we're able to develop skills um, in terms of students being able to find out reliable information um, and where to find good sources, then maybe they won't just take the first thing they see, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that, and they assume that that's true. So I think um, I think our district and I think every district's doing a good job of kind of building those critical thinking skills and inquiry to, to realize what, what's, what's true and reliable and what's not. Next, we dug into Kyle's vision for student learning and why choice is so terribly important to making students want to be at school and excited to learn. When students have voice and choice in the classroom, he says, they begin to take ownership of their learning. We explored this philosophy in greater depth and the role that technology plays in shifting students from users and consumers into creators. Can you tell me a little bit about your vision for student learning? And what has shaped that vision? Yeah, um, the biggest thing, kind of thinking of vision, is we want school to be a place that that students want to be at, um, not not a place where they have to be. Uh, when they get up in the morning, do they have some purpose to to get ready and to enter with a smile on their face and enter with some energy? And uh, I think that's the number one goal every day is we, we always say in class, if, I mean, if, if we can make you smile, if we can make you laugh, and if we can make you think, that's a pretty complete day within the classroom. And that's kind of where everything starts. Um, and with that, we want them to be comfortable. Um, I believe that comfort leads to confidence. If uh, they come into an environment and they realize that they're going to be respected, that they can share their opinion, that they can share some stories of their own personal life, that they can fail, and there's there's not an overwhelming large consequence on their shoulders, then when they are asked to step out of their comfort zone, I think they're more willing to do that then. So, yeah, I think, I think comfort is huge uh, to be able to establish that early in the year. And um, just kind of having that mutual respect between between students, student and staff. You mentioned that you're passionate about students having choices in the curriculum to pursue their own interests. Can you tell me a little bit more about why this is important and what it looks like in practice in your classroom? Yeah, one of, one of the things that I referenced earlier was that uh, we, especially in terms of technology, we have a lot of users, but very few creators. Um, and that's kind of where that choice aspect within the classroom comes in. And one of the things that we had started in 2013, um, it was after returning from a technology conference that I picked up the idea of uh, Genius Hour. And using that, students get one hour per week. Um, they get one hour each Thursday to be able to come up with a project that either benefits themselves, their school, or their community. So it has to be centered kind of, and pretty much every project idea is going to touch on that. 
Um, but they get that one hour per week. And the idea really came from Google. It's something that they've used as a corporation where 20% of their time is, is dedicated for their employees to have um, time for a personal project to benefit the company. So if kind of knocking off that idea, um, when we first started this in fifth grade, I didn't know if it would be too large of a task or too big of a task or daunting, but um, some of the projects that we've seen created over the years have been simply incredible. And especially this year in the midst of the pandemic, we've had some pretty unique projects too. So Genius Hour has provided them choice on a large scale. Uh, and it's one of those things that make them want to be at school. And then even on a smaller scale, um, allowing them to choose, I mean, their spelling menu practice items. They have nine different things that they can choose and they got to complete two a week to practice spelling. So whether it's on a small scale such as that or something far larger, as I explained, um, when they do, when they are empowered to make choices, they can find their passion. And when they find their passion, hey, they, they're in a place that they want to be, which is awesome. Kyle assigns a lot of really cool projects in his fifth grade classroom. I asked him to tell me more about Genius Hour, the kind of student projects that have emerged from this innovative activity, and the skills that students learn through the process of following a year-long passion project. We also talked about a really immersive history project he hosts for students that charts the course of the American Revolution. Can you give me some examples from this Genius Hour that you do and some just amazing student work that you've seen come out of it? Yeah, from Genius Hour, um, when we had started it, as I, as I mentioned, we knew that it was going to be kind of a big risk. And uh, when we first started Genius Hour, and we do so every year the first week of November, and it goes all the way till May or June at the end of the school year. And uh, it takes students a long time to come up with an idea. There are some that will sit there for an entire period and they'll be stuck brainstorming um, or it appears like they're not doing too much. And then all of a sudden you see the light bulb go on and uh, away they go. And it's amazing. And what it's kind of taught me as a teacher is that when we get out of their way every now and then, um, they can surprise us in ways that we never imagined. So to kind of highlight a few of those, um, we had we had two boys this year that ended up doing a project. They know that they wanted to help some people in need. And of course, with such a big need in the COVID era for masks, uh, they ended up buying masks and they uh, customized them and they're going to be donated to a, to a homeless shelter. Uh, we had another girl that ran a can drive this year and uh, she collected money based on the cans and she ended up buying pizza for healthcare workers at uh, at the hospital. Um, and this is completely on their own. I mean, when you hear these stories, it's like, okay, how much help did they receive in school or anything? And I'll serve as a facilitator and help point them in some directions if they need. But other than that, it is completely all their own planning. We had some students in the past create a take a book, leave a book, a book box for our school where they did the construction, the measurement on that. So these projects have been wide ranging. And one final one to highlight that's been that that kind of stood out to me was two years ago, we had a boy um, that I thought had kind of just sat at his desk for two months during this. And I had no idea what he was doing. And then uh, one day I noticed he had a blank shoe template and uh, he started sketching on it. And I thought, okay, well, he has some direction there. But uh, when it came time to present, what he actually did was he had bought a, a plain white pair of shoes off of Amazon or wherever. And uh, he had customized his own basketball shoe and had put them together. And he ended up basically making his own pair of shoes to wear, which was pretty cool. So whatever their passion is, they're able to chase it. And uh, sometimes the biggest lesson at the end is them failing. And they don't get to the end of that. But 
what does end up happening at the end is they realize how much that they learned on their own, driven by their own work ethic. And I think that's a skill that can carry them into future years. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is, um, you know, what other skills have you seen students learn through this sort of work? Because I can imagine, right, that there's a lot of real life skills that you could learn through doing some of these project examples you gave me. Yes. Uh, in terms of life skills, I think many students, many students are afraid to fail. Um, but then also, I think some are afraid to succeed uh, when they realize that they have so much time from November to May and they really have an endless amount of options available with what they could do. They know that it's going to take a tremendous amount of work. Anything they choose for a project, it can't be a small thing. Um, it has to be something huge. Um, and to, to kind of highlight that, we had, we had one girl one year, um, her goal was to cure cancer. She had a family member that was diagnosed um, with, with, with a certain cancer and uh, sh that affected her and she wanted to do something about that. Uh, kids are told a lot what they can't do. And I, as teachers, I don't think that we should be in a role to tell them no. Instead, go for it. And it might seem pretty absurd for a fifth grader taking that on. But what she realizes in her own project as she ended up moving uh, kind of moving and as her project evolved after a two month span, she realized, okay, I see why people haven't cured cancer yet in two months or why a fifth grader can't do it. And her presentation ended up becoming basically a Google slide presentation on um, the characteristics of the cancer that her family member had um, where she just learned and gained greater understanding about that. So um, it's pretty amazing to see that, but the biggest things, I mean, they're learning how to fail. They're learning what it takes to succeed and uh, they learn that they have ownership over their success. It is truly up to them and uh, the efforts that they put in. That sounds really powerful. Like all the, I'm sure the students going through that, like that's a really cool experience for them. So thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, no problem. I'm told that you have another very cool, innovative assignment that you offer on the American Revolution. Do you know what I'm talking about? And do you, can you speak about it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I am probably one of the biggest reasons why I kind of entered into teaching. I've, I've always, always had a passion kind of for history, um, and in the social studies side of things. Um, and when I was finishing up my, it was either my junior or senior year at Northern, we had one, we had one instructor, Derek Anderson at Northern that shared with us the living through history curriculum from a professor at Michigan state. And, uh, it's based on, it's based on an eighth grade curriculum. Um, but I knew that my heart was in fifth grade and that's where I wanted to be. And I knew that there were many parts of the fifth grade social studies curriculum that is kind of touched on in eighth grade. So what I did when I was, when I ended up making the move to fifth grade is, um, we we modified that eighth grade curriculum and we end up using that as our social studies curriculum. So basically what that is, is it's called living through history. And uh, it is exactly that from the time of Marco Polo and his, his foot journey or foot exploration from Europe to China, all the way up until in our fifth grade curriculum, um, which leads us through the birth of the United States and the development of the Constitution. Students live out every step of that history along the way. So we have some students that'll do a Marco Polo skit to start the year off, and that'll eventually lead into European exploration, where we send students off on another skit exploring. They find new new land, even though that Native Americans were here first, and they need to realize that. Um, so... They end up settling, uh, they colonize, and uh, right now, at this point in time, 
Um, we're kind of at the point where the French and Indian War ended and they are at the point of getting taxed by the king. So the teacher plays the role of the king the entire time. The students play the role of the settlers or the peasants. And um, at this point in time, students are getting pretty angry and they're pretty upset because their towns are getting taxed. Um, there's a lot of real world skills that go into that too, such as teamwork, uh, finance skills, organization, um, and so much more. So uh, when we end up leading towards the revolution, which is what we're kind of at the doorstep on, we conclude our year in kind of a unique fashion. Um, as you know, America, yeah, it does gain its independence. So without giving too much away, if students end up watching, they end up getting to a very similar step. And uh, yeah, it's a highlight of their year for sure. And once again, other than Genius Hour, it's something that they look forward to on a daily basis. But while all these projects are fun and exciting, they're not where learning starts in Kyle's fifth grade classroom. Learning starts with creating a nurturing classroom environment where students feel safe and comfortable. This process involves encouraging students to share their stories every morning and practice empathy with one another. In short, it's about building trust and community within the classroom walls. Comfort leads to confidence, he says. Without this, you might not have the right soil to cultivate all that fun and engaging stuff and watch students really blossom as a result. Yeah, in terms of classroom environment and, and ways to nurture that, and kind of cultivate that, um, it, it starts first thing in the morning by greeting your students. Um, just by being present in the hallway as they come up from, in our case, they're in the cafeteria beforehand and then they come up to the classroom. You can tell so much about um, either the night they had or the morning they had simply just by reading a facial expression right there. Um, so just by greeting them first and foremost. And then the second thing we do before anything else is we just give them time to share. And it seems like the most basic thing in the world, but um, if they have a story from the night before, or it could be something from a week before or something they're doing the, in the, in the weekend to come, um, it's amazing what, what you can end up learning from your students then too. Uh, some, most of the time it's pretty basic, but every now and then there'll be a student that comes in and they drop something in there that you'd never expect about maybe a family member that's been ill or somebody that's passed away, um, or maybe there was a fight at home or something like that. And, uh, what it does is I think I think it makes the environment real and it makes it authentic for students and they see their classmates differently, too, when they have that time to share. And um, we always say that we want our students to practice empathy, but they can't practice empathy if they don't hear from each other. And um, by them sharing in the morning, I think many of them, they're able to, to gain that skill and they realize that people might act a certain way or they, they say things a certain way based on the experience that they're sharing that morning. So those two basic things kind of set the tone for us every single day. Um, but then it's the little things too. Every kid in class, they have a nickname, um, either something they want to be called or something that we just kind of picked up on as the year goes on. So it's just something to make, make, make their experience more personal. Um, and listening to them. Um, of course, as teachers, we're, we're supposed to be the facilitator of, of curriculum and everything, and that's what we are. But at the, there are some times where what they have to share is more important than an hour of science or an hour of math or, or any subject that there is. And there is always time to make up what you need to make up. But um, there's so many teachable moments throughout the day. If, if all of those simply pass by and, and they're not addressed, then uh, we're, we're kind of doing them a disservice, I feel. I am. Um, yeah, I'm just 
continuously audit how much, you know, when I recall, you know, being in elementary school and you don't realize it then, you know, how much intentionality your teachers put into this, you know, like behind everything that they're doing. And it's just blows me away. But um, what effect have you seen this have on students? like creating this environment. You spoke about it a little bit earlier. I I mean I can I can't speak for everybody, but I I do think that most people in class they they do enjoy being there every day. Uh, they get up in the morning and it is somewhere where they want to be and not a place where they have to be. Um and yeah, we we have seen effects whether once that classroom environment's in place, then you can ask them to do bigger things such as participate in genius hour uh, to complete larger science experiments. They do a big uh, social studies regions project in the beginning of the year. And there's a wide variety of things that, that you can ask them to do. This year, with the exception of two weeks in October, Nagani has been offering face-to-face instruction. Kyle shared with me how proud he is of how resilient his students have been and how careful they've been with following safety guidelines. I asked him to tell me a little bit more about his experiences during this time, what hopes he has for the future as we move forward, and what advice he has to offer his fellow educators during this pivotal moment in history. During COVID, right, a lot of aspects of teaching changed pretty much overnight for a lot of teachers, at least, and a lot of students. Um, Could you speak at all to how you kind of adapted your teaching style to meet students' needs in this new environment? Yeah, it, I mean, we're just over that year mark uh, when we had went on shutdown and, and everything kind of changed. Um, but I remember pretty clearly it was it was that Wednesday before the shutdown was announced. And I remember the, the Big Ten basketball tournament was just canceled. And you could tell that there was more things to come. So we had took, we had took the entire Wednesday morning um, after those announcements were made with our class. And, and one of my favorite quotes of all time, it's a John Wooden quote, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And that's, we say that in class all the time too. And we said, okay, we, we might be in a situation where we're going to be out of school for a little bit. It might be a few days. It might be a few weeks or it could be longer, but no matter what's going to happen, we want to make sure that we have a plan in place if this does happen. So we actually, on, on that Wednesday, we put our plan in place before any shutdown was even announced. And, uh, it, it, it might've been a little bit of a risk because it might, some people, it might raise their anxiety, but I feel that we handled it properly. And we told them, hey, this is a just-in-case type thing. It's a just-in-case scenario. And the one thing I gathered from them in talking to my students was the biggest thing they wanted was some form to communicate still. If if they were not going to be there in, per- in person, um, would they have some means to see each other, to chat, uh, to email, or anything? So the one thing that we decided on before, before going into shutdown was that 10 o'clock every single morning, Monday through Friday, we're going to meet up, whether we use Google Meet. Uh, we had no idea what Zoom was at that time. Um, but Google Meet, um, a chat room that has some some private security functions, something. So that's what we did. And that first Monday of shutdown, um, we had about 14 or 15 kids show up, which was awesome. Um, they had found their way there. And that was kind of the first memory that I had. But the biggest thing what's changed, I mean, we've, we've had to be more flexible than ever um, as teachers and as students. And... Uh, even though we lived through a pandemic, uh, education didn't slow down and expectations didn't sh- didn't slow down. Of course, the priority changed from from kind of academic success to literally survival. And the kids did a terrific job of adapting. And uh, I think as a district and as a staff, um, 
we were able to knock it out of the park as well. You mentioned flexibility, and um, I'm curious, do you think, have you learned anything from that as a district? Like, have you found that people really like some of that flexibility? Has that impacted some of the way that you guys are doing things moving forward, do you think? Or, or no? It's it's a good question. Of course, we've had. I mean, if it's if it's been any early on when we had staff meetings and that, of course, it was it was on Zoom and and things like that. So I don't know if that if like those factors will will stay as we move forward. Um, but I think I think flexibility kind of has to be a natural trait of of any teacher that's going to be effective. And uh, with this, I think. It it kind of more so more than anything else it stretch it stresses the need for preparation above above everything else being prepared for literally everything and nobody entering twenty nineteen or twenty twenty would add pandemic on their list but um, regardless no matter what happens in the future the fact that we do have a means to rapidly transition online if we need to um, it strengthens us as a district so it's tough to say what that change will look like permanently as we move forward. Um, I think as a district, we we still believe that by having students in person, that's where they're receiving their most benefit. But we've definitely seen rewards of of some alternative means as well. What makes you hopeful right now in education? What makes me hopeful? Um, or you could say, you know, what do you hope for? I think... If, if I was to think, well, what makes me hopeful in education, I would say that this this pandemic has shown us that education can survive in the midst of it. Um, I mean, as I mentioned before, expectations on teachers and really on students, they haven't changed over the over the last year. People still expect them to grow in terms of reading, math and every subject area that's there. Um, as we know now, Michigan did not get the waiver um, for for the M step, and students will be will be M step tested this spring as well. So, I mean, we've had to continue to function throughout, and because of that, I think often we we hear about how much an education needs to be reformed, and we hear that from countless people, but very rarely do we hear about the successes that take place. Um, and especially as of late. So the fact that the fact that we were able to change modes of instruction within 24 to 48 hours across our entire country in a public education setting, I think that's a tremendous success um, that should be talked about far more often. On the news, you might hear stories that might not have the technology or the means to get a Chromebook or, or a laptop in somebody's hands. But uh, and, and those are improvements that need to be made. But these schools that where we've had some resources and technology, we were able to do that. And I think um, there needs to be a lot more credit on a national scale uh, directed towards that. So that makes me hopeful uh, just with how, qu how quick we could adapt and, and be flexible. What advice or words of wisdom do you have for your fellow educators right now? I think, I think it's always to remain positive and, and optimistic. Um, it's, in education, I think just like in many careers, maybe a nurse, a doctor, and people in, medic in a medical field could experience where maybe if they don't have a great day or maybe if they don't have a great year, you, you look back sometimes and think, well, what if I did this differently or should I have done that differently? Um, but at the same time, too, that's all part of the learning experience that students experience, that us as teachers experience. And um, I think the resiliency that that we've all shown over the course of the last year and, and beyond that 
Um, it's something to be proud of. And uh, we have to give ourselves credit for survival. That's that's it right now. And um, once everything pandemic-wise is put behind us, then I think we, we learn even more from those experiences and we're prepared for anything else in the future. After my conversation with Kyle, I was left inspired by the community he's cultivated in his classroom to make learning immersive and student-driven. From the way he invites students to empathize with their peers at the beginning of every class, to the innovative projects like Genius Hour he uses to give them ownership over their learning. I couldn't help but think about how fun and empowering it must be to be a student in Kyle's fifth grade classroom. How would having such an experience in fifth grade change your lifelong relationship with learning? How might being empowered to tackle big projects at such a young age change the way you think about your role in society as an adult? When classrooms operate like this, when students want to be there and are excited to learn, the results can be amazing. Students show us that they're capable of producing outstanding work. They take a hold of their learning, recognize their full potential, and give back to their communities. As we look to the future, we'll continue to celebrate Michigan educators, sharing their hopes, their fears, their dreams, and their beliefs in what's best for our children as we move forward into a new era of post-pandemic learning. Without a doubt, it's hard work to cultivate classroom communities where every single student feels excited to show up and learn every day. But with leaders like Kyle forging our path forward, if there's one thing we're certain of, it's that the future is bright. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bright, stories of hope and innovation in Michigan classrooms. This podcast is produced by Herbie Gaylord, is hosted by me, Nikki Herta, and is made possible by Michigan Virtual, a nonprofit organization that's leading and collaborating to build learning environments for tomorrow. Education is changing faster than ever. Discover new models and resources to move learning forward at your school at michiganvirtual.org.